Are you tired of all the voices who say, focus on the bottom line numbers? Say whatever you have to, just close the sale. Just get the credit card. It doesn't matter what you deliver. You will never build a successful business until you grow a pair and stop caring so much. Here, we respectfully disagree. We give you permission to embrace who you are, how much you care, and encourage you to design a business that works for you and your clients. Welcome to The Art of Giving a Damn, the podcast that proves with every single episode that you can create a profitable business doing what you're passionate about and making a positive difference in the world. Now, here's your host, Michelle Schaefer. Hey, welcome back for another episode of The Art of Giving a Damn. My guest today is Dr. Ron Kaiser. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be with you, Michelle. Oh, man, you have got a really, really fascinating perspective on what we're about to talk about. So for those who haven't met you yet, you are a positive health psychologist. In addition to being the director of psychology at the Jefferson Headache Center, one of the leading headache centers in the world, you've developed the concept of goal-achieving psychology, uh, which we definitely have to dive into here, and some related concepts such as the type P personality, which is what grabbed my attention. Um, so you've done a lot of things over the years. You've helped people to proactively really be more physically and mentally healthier so that as we age, we don't grow old in the way that we all expect. All the things that we, we think have to happen as part of the aging process, there are some ways around that and some ways to actually grow old and still be healthy, feel great, have a clear mind, all of that. So I'm excited to uh, jump in and, and discuss that real quick. I did want to share, you've got a brand new book out on Amazon called Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. Uh, which is, a, I think, a very fascinating concept and uh, definitely much needed. We don't have to age the way that we might think we do. So let's start there. What inspired you to write the book? Well, several things uh, happened kind of at one time. One okay. is I obviously grew older, uh, and a couple of decades ago, I was noticing that some of us were aging differently than others. Uh, some people were essentially running out the clock. They hadn't right. planned for uh, aging enthusiastically in much the same way as some people don't plan for retirement financially. That, you know, people yeah. just stuck. And others, I mean, this can be a really great time of life. I mean, if you have prepared adequately, if you've developed healthy health habits, if you've kept the mind active and so on, uh, social involvements, uh, th there's a lot of stuff that really can can be very positive. And while some of this may have just kind of fallen into place without a lot of thought, I was able to identify the fact that there are certain principles that can help people age one way as opposed to the other. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing, I, I like to point out that uh, the other thing that kind of got me going on this really started with uh, one of those procedures that older people have to go through, whether it was a hearing test or colonoscopy uh -huh. or something like that. And uh, the, the nurse who was taking my history before asked, uh, what medications do you take? Mm -hmm. As if that's, you know, an assumed thing. It's, there must be a list. 
yeah, it's kind of like when you get to be 21, yeah. you can drink. When you get to be, you know, 60 or so on, then you can have this list of medications. And mm -hmm. that isn't the last time that was asked. And, uh, you know, not mm -hmm. do you take any, but what medications do you right. take? Uh, generally, they don't ask 20 or 30-year-olds those questions. Uh, so I felt that, you know, it bothered me that people were getting categorized in a particular mm -hmm. way. And in some cases, uh, as I said, some of my peers were doing some things to keep that category uh, kind of accurate for them. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's just so much fun to be aging actively and enthusiastically. I felt the need to spread the word. Yeah. I love that, the idea that it is something you can prepare, plan for, and really set yourself up to have a different experience with it. Um, that's that's uh, very hope-giving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it should be because otherwise, you know, you're looking forward to suddenly reaching this point and having no control over where your life is going, and that's pretty depressing. Yeah. Choice to not be depressed, uh, I would I would make that choice. But that's the better choice. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk about some of the the projects that you're involved in, some of the other things that you've you've worked with. This idea of goal achieving. Uh, psychology and type P personality. Talk to me a little bit about that. What is goal achieving psychology and what's a type P personality? Okay, well, in the last quarter century or so, uh, positive psychology has kind of come into being. Right. Uh, in psychology, kind of like in medicine, historically people have. Uh, really functioned on uh, or focused on disease. Right. Somebody came to you as a psychologist to deal with depression, anxiety, and once you're doing better in that direction, uh, that's kind of, I'm done with you, uh, in much the same way as happened in, in a lot of areas of medicine, too. Yep. Positive psychology emphasizes the fact that people can do better, can thrive, they can flourish, uh -huh. and so on. And that, that's one of the reasons my website's called the Mental Health Gym. I do see what we do as being kind of the mental health equivalent of what a trainer might do at, at the gym. Okay. Uh, and so one of, the, one of the real pluses of positive psychology was it de was developed by academics and researchers uh -huh. uh, and one of the real minuses is that it was developed by academics and researchers. So while it has a very strong science based, it's not like some of the other approaches that were developed by Freud and Albert Ellis and Aaron Beck and others that where the practitioner actually was involved in it. So uh -huh. my, my take on it was to establish goal achieving psychology to take positive psychology and make it useful for psychologists, therapists, and coaches by having patients not just look at getting better, but actually going beyond neutral and flourishing. And so goal setting and achieving is a key part of the process. I like that. That's a much more, uh, again, optimistic perspective to not just try to get back to some some level of not struggling mentally but actually into optimum performance and reaching your goals yeah it shouldn't just be the absence of disease but right. actually flourishing and that's where the type p personality comes in um 
people know about the type A personality. Right, we've heard that one. <laughs> yeah, overly driven, they're pressured for time. And, mm -hmm. and the goal a lot of times is to moderate the type mm -hmm. A personality. The type yeah. P personality, on the other hand, is one that I think people should aspire to. In other words, we want to build in certain behaviors that lead to, to positive health. And I've kind of identified six different areas which all coincidentally start with a P, uh, okay. which made it easy to, to name it the type P personality. <laughs> and if all those go into place, then we also get uh, a seventh P, which is pride. But the, the six P's are uh, uh, personal goal-driven first. And when I say that, it's, it's, I do emphasize the personal because okay. we get lots of people from parents on throughout to yeah. uh, employers, associates, others who, who can set goals for us. But it's really important to be able to focus on, you know, is this what I want to do? Is this the kind of person I want to be with? So personal goal-driven is important. Then proactive to be able to move toward those goals. Positive, passionate, uh, persistent. And the one that a lot of people forget is playful. Because unless you introduce yeah. that into your lifestyle, that's, that's not going to be, you know, very... Okay. Enthusiastic either. Gotcha. I, I love that, that that's actually one of the things in the list. Yeah. So that's kind of what we work on if I see a patient in the office is to try and see how are they working mm -hmm. along those six P's and are there aspects of it in their lives that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they need more development on because that becomes a game changer. Got it. Got it. That's uh, that's. I like how it's a personality to aspire to and something that you can work towards because sometimes our goals are just, you know, getting out of disease or getting out of the, the challenging part. And we don't add that layer of here's what I want to reach. So that's, that's a really different perspective. Yeah, I'd like to think so. And hopefully that will be part of the way that the field is going now. And the, the good thing about it, I think, is that, again, it's kind of like, going to the gym, you don't need to be in therapy to implement these kinds of things. You can be pretty healthy and still acknowledge that you can get healthier in these areas. Yeah. Well, so for entrepreneurs especially, I think that's something that most of us are aware, like we want to continue improving, continue becoming, you know, the next level version of ourselves. And, and the qualities you just described really are what most entrepreneurs need to succeed in business as well as in personal life. So what advice would you have or where would you suggest somebody start when they're listening to this and going, yeah, that type P personality thing sounds like something I want to implement. Where do you advise somebody to start? There are essentially three major areas that science has demonstrated uh, if you are making progress, if you're growing in these three main areas, then mm -hmm. you're, you're going in the right direction. Uh, one of them is the health and fitness area. And I always okay. encourage people to have, I, I break it down into two areas, uh, which is uh, diet or eating healthy. And mm -hmm. the other area is that I call owning your body, which includes exercise, yeah. but also things like meditation, yoga, 
being able to build in some time for relaxation. And this is one of the things I think some entrepreneurs kind of figure, well, yeah. you know, it's a good idea, but uh, I, yeah. I really, I, I could be making money in this time when I'm relaxing, not recognizing that the relaxation enables them to function healthier and longer and hopefully make more money. So, yeah. so health and fitness is, one area. The other is intellectual functioning. Uh, and I think it's important to keep your mind active, not just in your own business area, but to have a broad range of interests. I think that's really important, both in terms of your own development and in working with others. And I th think we've got a pretty good history now of knowing that it also, it doesn't necessarily prevent dementia or Alzheimer's, but it increases the odds that you can keep going intellectually as, as long as possible. And mm. that's one of the things that, that some of the older entrepreneurs and others fear. You wanna be yeah. able to be in control of your life intellectually as much as possible. The other that's sometimes neglected, and it's real easy nowadays where an entrepreneur can basically work from home uh, not have a lot of involvement with others. Social involvement's really important. Uh, we've also yeah. found through science that, that doing good for others, so volunteering or becoming involved in organizations where it does uh, good for others, you, you get, I give people bonus points for it, uh, and you actually get like a helper's high and so on. The other thing that I think is is, really important to recognize is when we think in terms of longevity issues, loneliness is right up there with smoking, sedentary lifestyle, and obesity as far as, as killers. Uh, people don't necessarily believe that, but it's true. You know, loneliness is a real issue. So if we don't start at an early age to think in terms of the fact that just like putting away a certain amount of money for retirement, mm -hmm. putting away uh, some skills and friendships in this yeah. regard is pretty helpful thing too. Yeah, and that is, you're right, one of the things that, that goes when you are working from home, it's you have to be intentional about staying active socially and having those relationships. Yeah, you have to really uh, kind of build in times for these things and structure that in. You know, uh, nobody necessarily uh, likes to start going to the gym. Most people are happy with the results, but right. it's really easy to stay away from it if you have done it, have stayed away for two or three days or, yeah. you know, you took a, a business trip and you didn't work out at the hotel or something like that. Uh, yeah. Same thing with, with uh, the, the matter of social involvements. You know, if you've, managed to work on this deal and it's it's worked mm -hmm. uh, why not repeat that as opposed to taking some time out and socialize you've got to be able to fight that thing and, and one of the best ways is to really in essence make dates with yourself to do these various yes. things at different times because nobody's <laughs> making you do it you know if you have an employer who's telling you to do something then then you're likely to do it but when when you're the boss, again, I, I talked about owning your body. You really want to own your entire lifestyle. Yeah. 
Yeah, if it's not on the calendar, it's probably not going to get done. So making that date with yourself is really a key, I think, for most of us to making sure we take action on it. Yeah, yeah definitely. No boss to make sure you do it. You've got to be in charge of yourself. That's, uh, that's, yeah, that's the other side of the coin that comes with all yeah. the autonomy and freedom and opportunity that comes with being an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the second thing that you mentioned, because we've talked a little bit about the social piece. You mentioned the intellectual piece. I know uh, that is a huge concern for any of us to coaching, consulting, anything that, you know, uses our mind. Um, that's a big concern. We have to keep it sharp and be able to focus and keep our memory working and all of that. So what do you recommend for people to stay in a good space intellectually and be able to keep their brain functioning as high as possible for as long as possible? First of all, I think it's important to recognize that there are some, you know, tremendous opportunities to stay active in various ways at this time of life. You've got so many ways of reading, for example. You can read a book, you can hear an audio book, you can uh, read an ebook, or, uh, you know, there are various ways, both old style things as well as new kinds of things. I think it's also very important to uh, not just be focused in your area, in the things that you do read uh-huh. and study, uh, 10 lectures. Uh, I, I believe it's really good for people to have some kind of a hobby that really taps into a different part of their brain, because the more things you've got okay. going on in your brain, uh, the the greater the chances, and again, the genetics plays a role in everything, but the greater the chances are that you're going to continue to function well intellectually. Take opportunities to, to learn and uh, try not to. Uh, one of the things I pointed out in the book, I, I think people get stunted by locking into one type of, of TV channel, for example. It might be just one political okay. view. You can, you know, in some homes, you can they they'll turn on a particular channel, leave it on all day, and not hear a dissenting point of view. So being able to hear others, uh, okay. not so that you can necessarily argue with them, but to try to understand. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think that not playing defense about your point of view all the time is a wonderful exercise intellectually. Okay. Yeah. That that one definitely takes some. Uh, some intentional self-control and uh, focused yeah. <laughs> in the way you're thinking. That makes sense. Um, so really part of it then is just not just staying active, but staying active in different areas. So when, when you say different areas of your brain, can you give us some examples of what that would be like? If my job is on the computer uh, most of the time and, and specifically looking at, you know, tech or sales or marketing pieces, what would be some good options for hobbies or for reading or, or learning that use other parts of my brain? Yeah, so you're, you're talking about uh, what's generally the left side of your brain and mm-hmm. the, the intellectual activities. Uh, I would encourage people, and I know this is a challenge for some because if you're not really good in art or if you didn't enjoy uh, in the old days, we used to have shop classes. Uh, if, you, if you just have led a sedentary lifestyle and don't mm-hmm. think too much those things. But I, I think uh, a hobby that involves learning a new skill is very okay. important. I think uh, 
the learning a new language, even though it's intellectually uh, on the same side of the brain, it uh, really involves uh, a different part, though, and, and different pathways. It's it's a lot easier to learn in two languages when you, when you're a child because the pathways haven't haven't right. narrowed. But it's the fact that something is a challenge should be seen as as that it's a challenge mm -hmm. not a problem so i think uh doing some if you're doing something intellectually then try and do something uh that that's more kinesthetic involves you know different parts of the body again that's one of the reasons that exercise for example has been uh -huh. demonstrated to have a major impact on on the brain uh the other thing i should point out because this is relatively new when I was in grad school and when many of my colleagues and even those quite a bit younger than me were in medical school, we didn't know a whole lot about neuroplasticity, about the brain's ability to change over the course of the lifespan. There was uh -huh. belief that by the time you got to be around 30, that you'd pretty maxed out, pretty much maxed out your, your brain's mm -hmm. ability to function. We now know that. Right brain can establish new connections, new neural pathways, and even new neurons throughout the lifespan. But it only happens if you're active, if you're using uh -huh. the brain in some way. And those three areas that I mentioned, the health and fitness areas, social and intellectual, mm -hmm. all in their own way involves use of the brain. Yeah, that is fascinating, the things that we continue to, to discover about what's possible. Um, that's really interesting. So I wrote down something that you said. I want to talk about that for a minute. Doing something hard to look at it like it's a challenge, not a problem. Mm -hmm. So that's a different, uh, different perspective on that kind of stuff. What would you advise people as kind of a practical way to implement that mindset of looking at things like a challenge instead of a problem? Right. It actually was kind of the motivation for when I wrote my first book, which is an e-book called What Can Go Right, uh, Thinking okay. Guide to Making Good Things Happen. Um, in working with patients, I just kind of over time evolved asking the question of uh, when somebody is faced with a problem or challenge of asking them what can go right. And it shocked me how many people took that as, as a trick question or a really major uh, kind yeah. of difficulty. I mean, the number of people would say, I can tell you what can go wrong, or I never thought of it. And I've had, you know, one or two patients over time that, that thought I, I must have asked it wrong. He said, did you mean what can go wrong? Mm -hmm. So I mean, when you face a challenge, I think the first question is what can go right? You'll be able to identify things that can go wrong. I mean, we naturally seem to have that tendency. Yeah. But yes, <laughs> it takes some effort to ask what can go right. Absolutely. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody point out to ask that question. Yeah, that, well, that, that is, that's a very different question. When you hear it, you are, wait, did you mean that or did you mean what can go wrong? Because that yeah. is our natural tendency. Yeah, and even in, in therapy, again, years ago, that was, we'd find out, uh, what the problem was, we'd focus on what can go wrong, maybe we can try and think this through and see uh, uh, how we can do some things better, but uh, mm -hmm. I think it's, you're, you're further along if you start out with the statement what can go right, because then you're mm -hmm. focusing on, on 
trying to do some things to make that happen. That makes complete sense as, as a way to approach things. Yeah. yeah the, the reality is we actually have had some things programmed into us over centuries mm -hmm. uh, that's called the negativity bias that really goes back to prehistoric times when people had to always be hyper vigilant to or hyper alert to whether uh, there would be a, a, an animal uh, that they've got to be alert to, uh, an invading tribe, weather which could be inclement without a lot of protection. So over uh, time we've actually become sensitized to really thinking negatively, to thinking what can go wrong. Mm. So that people like myself uh, are, are kind of the outliers in trying to get people to go against their natural tendency. Okay, yeah. Because as a result, it's wow. real easy for us to, to think about what can go wrong. Uh, a friend of mine who is a famous mm -hmm. neuropsychologist, Rick Hansen, talks about the fact that we're, uh, we're like Velcro for bad and like oh on for good so the, the things that are bad stick to us but yeah we, we kind of ignore the things that could could go good could go right or be good that is a really good metaphor mm -hmm. <laughs> i hadn't thought about it but that is absolutely true that is the way we naturally tend to respond have to have to think about flipping the, the velcro and the teflon <laughs> Yeah, that. that's, that's, yeah so that, that's one of the reasons that some people get to be my age and they have a lifetime of focusing on the negative. So the notion of thinking that uh, the, the senior years can be, can be really great ones is, yeah. is not an automatic thought. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Okay, this has been a, a, a fascinating discussion, I think, with so many things for people to really think about and, and consider. What is your perspective right now, and how can you shift it to be a little bit more focused on the positive, on achieving the goals, on that type P personality? And I, I so appreciate your time and coming on and talking about this today. Well, thanks very much for having me. I enjoyed talking with you. Absolutely. So for those of you listening, you can connect at thementalhealthgym.com, thementalhealthgym.com. A couple of things. If you scroll down a little bit on the page, you will see a link to that book that we mentioned a minute ago, as well as uh, if you go into the store there, you will see the book, What Can Go Right? The Thinking Person's Guide to Making Good Things Happen. We'll put a link somewhere near where you're listening to the audio or video to where you can find those and more resources uh, from Dr. Kaiser and and maybe think a little bit more about how you can embrace that type P personality. Thank you again so much for Thank your time you, today, Joe. Dr. Kaiser. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, please like, rate, review, subscribe, and we will see you back again soon for another episode.